The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Prayer is the breath of the soul. Prayer is the breath of the soul. But but how do we pray? I was born in a family that was very, very much a Christian family, and I began praying in morning and evening worship with my family. And as we would gather to pray morning and evening, I don't remember when I began praying. It was some of the first words that I was able to speak were words of prayer. All of my life, I have prayed. And many of you have likewise prayed. Maybe you didn't always pray to the Lord Jesus. Perhaps you prayed to Buddha or to a Hindu god or to Allah. But every man and every woman prays at some point in their life, even if it's just a wish shot at the heavens. But I'd like to take prayer to its simplest form for you. I've titled this broadcast, Prayer for Dummies. That's me. I need the simple, simple outline. How do I pray? Now, even though I'd prayed all of my life and then was a pastor, it wasn't until some years into ministry that I became so involved in a crisis that was life-threatening to me and my family that I began to dedicate from early morning until late at night just to pray because I knew if God didn't come and deliver me, we would die. It took me a year to break through with God. I would go in the prayer closet, a empty bedroom except carpet on the floor. I would lay on the floor with my Bible, and I would cry out to the Lord. But in my spirit, all I saw was a fence that kept me out of the throne room of God. I was not allowed to enter the throne room. I want to walk with you through some very specific steps that I will assure you that if you follow, you will walk into, humbly, walk into the throne room of God and have access directly with the Lord God of heaven. Now, we're going to consider this this week, first from the Old Testament, and then I'm going to go to the New Testament later in the week and deal with what we call the Our Father, or the Lord's Prayer, and other prayers that were prayed by great saints, but especially prayers offered by Jesus. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I'm so happy you've joined today. If you don't listen to the entire broadcast, you're going to miss very key portions that will dramatically influence whether you can actually reach the throne room of God or not. Praying is not like dealing with a little invisible friend that you might have had when you were a child. 
No, we're dealing with the Almighty God of heaven and earth. So as you come now, would you listen to the entire broadcast? You may want to take some notes. Go get a pen and paper. We're going to study primarily out of the Old Covenant today. Now before we do that, let's pray. Lord, I've not been but a dummy before you, struggling, trying to learn how to pray, for no one ever taught me except your Lord's Prayer and the models in Scripture until you finally came and revealed yourself to me and began to teach me how to pray. It has always been the hardest work I do because of my stuff and how slow and how dumb my tongue is. Lord, would you come today and would you quicken us and would you teach us to pray? In your holy name, Jesus, I come beseeching you for your mercy and your grace. Amen. Now, the Bible, just to give us a very brief basis for understanding, is made up of two sections. What we call the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Each Old Testament, New Testament, each having a number of books within each. Literally, the Bible is a library. Old Covenant and New Covenant. What does that mean? Old Testament, New Testament, they mean the same thing. Covenant and Testament mean the same thing. Literally, it meant that when a covenant was made, the hands were cut so that blood flowed, hands were clasped, and blood was mixed, and the covenant was sealed so that if either party broke the covenant, they knew they would die. Now we come to the old covenant, and that covenant began under the administration of Moses as he met with God on Mount Sinai. We have the new covenant that began as Jesus came and died on Calvary. The cross is a demarcation between the old and the new covenants. But there is another covenant. It is called the everlasting covenant, or the eternal covenant. It arches over both the old and the new. The new covenant is simply an extension of the everlasting covenant. This covenant was made in heaven, between God the Father and God the Son before the creation of the earth. And he pledged his life if Adam and Eve were to fall and the human race were to be in walking in sin. He said, I will die for the breaking of the covenant. And so we have this old covenant 
which is a pictorial diagram for us to understand the everlasting or eternal covenant. And so I'd like to take you now to the actual construction, the setting up of the tabernacle in the 40th chapter of Exodus. The setting up of this tabernacle with each article of furniture is a dramatic and clear explanation for how we enter into the presence of Almighty God. You enter the throne room by walking through these steps. And if you miss any of these steps, you can pray. And if God hears your prayer and and answers, it is an exception, not the rule. To go through each of these steps opens the door to heaven for you and ushers you into the, the very presence of the throne room of God. So let's begin. When you come to the tabernacle, it is set up with a tent of meeting that is divided into two rooms, the holy and the most holy compartments or rooms. You have a courtyard fenced around the entire courtyard and tent of meeting. And this was placed right in the center of the camp for the children of Israel. God dwelt in their camp, in the midst of them. But who could enter into the Holy of Holies? Aaron was told, don't come here but once a year or you will die, for the Shekinah glory of God resides in the Holy of Holies. So when you come to enter into the presence of God, you come to the door. There is only one door into the tabernacle, and Jesus said that he was the door to the sheepfold. He is the door. He is the narrow gate. So you come to that door, and the interesting thing is the way it is geographically set up. When you face the door, prepared to enter into the courtyard of God, you have your back to the east, to the rising sun. Always the rising sun has been a symbol of pagan worship, of Baal worship, of prosperity, of money. So if you're going to pray, and you're going to be heard in the inner sanctum of God, you are going to have to turn your back to money, the worship of money, and prosperity, the worship of prosperity. The Lord God of heaven said he was the one who gave the ability to gain wealth. So, please understand that as you come to have your prayer lifted up before the Father in the Holy of Holies, you turn your back on this world. 
and what makes this world go around with the, with the lust therein. You deliberately take this position. You intellectually take this position and say, I recognize that I am coming into the presence of God. Therefore, I am turning my back on the world, on the flesh, and on the devil. I'm turning my back on sin. Now, as you walk into that courtyard, you will bring with you a lamb, a bull, a sheep. You will bring with you an animal. And the priest will say to you, put your hand on the head of the animal and confess all of your sin. You will then cut the neck of the animal and it will bleed out. It will die. The priest then would take over and would arrange that sacrifice on what is called the bronze altar or the altar of burnt offering. Now, as you come, did you hear me say, you must place your hand on the lamb and confess all all of your sin. The first step to answered prayer is to come into the presence of God with your back to the world. The second step is to come and confess all of your sin. To confess your sin. Part of the sin that must be confessed is any anger or bitterness held toward another person, any grudge held toward another person. It requires that we forgive before God will forgive us. You come to the bronze altar or to the altar of burnt offering, it is a large piece of furniture with a continual fire where the animal sacrifice is placed on the grating and is consumed in the flames. When you come to pray, the first thing is that your life is offered to the Lord God of heaven. You recognize that he is the great God of heaven, and you ask that his will will be done in your life. And so you come repenting. Any known sin must be repented of or you will not be allowed to enter into the presence of God. You confess your sin. Jesus is now your sacrifice. But this bronze altar will require that you lay your life upon that altar. I'll read you the scripture. It's found in the book of Romans in the 12th chapter. Let me read it for you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. You come to God and you pray about a job or you pray about which job to take and you don't know and you don't get an answer. The reason you don't know and the reason you don't get an answer is because you have not laid your life on that altar yet. You must lay your life as a living sacrifice, as a living martyr before God, where you are utterly given over to His will. When you come with your back to the world, you come confessing every known sin before God. You come to this bronze altar and you say, Lord, I give my life up to you. I will worship and serve only you, Lord. And you make that covenant before a holy God. You're now in a position where he can begin to move you forward. Now this... This time at the bronze altar, many people skip. And because they skip the repentance at the beginning of their prayers, they're not allowed into the presence of God. And so they pray their prayer. They feel emotionally better. So prayer then becomes simply a psychological catharsis. Or it becomes something that you do in public and it's a it's an expression of art it is wordsmithed and so you pray your pretty prayer you say amen and it did not go any higher than the ceiling in fact it bounced back at you because your prayer did not involve repentance The first work is the work of repentance and submission to God in all of his will. You cannot be a Christian. You cannot be called a follower of Jesus if you have not entered by the narrow gate. It's called the agonizing gate. It's called the suffering gate in Scripture. It is a narrow gate. And it is so narrow you cannot enter with your sin. You must stop and you must repent. As you move forward from that bronze altar where your life is now utterly given to Jesus, you come to what is called the bronze basin. The bronze basin is a highly polished brass mirror-like container of much water. It's called the laver in Scripture. You come to that bronze basin, and here it is required that you change your clothes. Here it's required that you put on white linen, Here it is required that you stop sweating. 
you are not allowed to enter the presence of God sweating. Why? Because when you enter the presence of God, you have given up all self-help. You've given up all hope of delivering yourself. You know that hard work will not bring your answer. You know that you have tried as hard as you could try. You were unable to change the situation. And so you come to the laver or the mirrored well of water. As you are there, you begin to change your clothes and bathe. The clothes you put on are the priestly garments, the white linen garments that are represented in the book of Revelation as the righteous deeds of the saints. In other words, you have repented of your sins and you have given your life utterly as a sacrificial gift before God. That is your act of spiritual worship. The Apostle Paul tells us, you come to the bronze basin or to the laver, and here you must be washed in water. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Let me share this with you. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. I'm going to begin reading with verse 4. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. He said, Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. He said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Christ Jesus once and for all. Now, what's very clear is that Jesus is that sacrifice for us. And if you were to look at 1 John 5, 1 to 8, you would see that we must be washed in the pure water. And if you look at verse 22, Hebrews ten twenty-two. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So as we come to that bronze basin or that, that laver, the laver. We're dressed in new clothing. 
our life changed at the bronze altar. We repented. And any time you desire to enter into the presence of God, you must again come with your back to the world. And if there's any uncleanness in your heart, God will not answer you if there is uncleanness. But the one prayer he will always answer is the prayer of honest repentance and turning from sin and then being washed. And this laver is mirrored so you can look in it. It is representing the law of God. Or for the new covenant, it is representing Jesus himself. And as we look at Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to tell us, no, you can't do that anymore. Turn that television off. Leave those videos alone. Turn off those those games. Stop smoking. Stop drinking. Leave it alone. It's of the devil. Turn aside from the professional sports. All of this takes place at the bronze basin, the laver where we're washed by the blood of Jesus. We're cleansed. Now, we move forward. We're now dressed in white linen. And we come into the entrance of the holy compartment. And on our right-hand side, there is a table. It is made of acacia wood with a gold overlay. It represents Jesus, the Jesus who is fully man and fully God. And on that table are twelve loaves of bread, one loaf representing each tribe of the children of Israel. Fresh bread is placed there on a regular basis. Then the priests eat the bread after it comes off of the table of showbread or consecrated bread. The bread represents the tribes of Israel as they are laid before God and they are considered food for God. Remember, Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, it's real food. And likewise, he took the cup And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Well, in the the tabernacle of the old covenant, we are to be laid before God, waiting upon the Lord. I can't emphasize this enough. If you're going to pray, you're going to have to come in with your back to the world, You're going to have to come and confess all sin. And then your life is laid on that altar of burnt offering where you are consumed. The world, the flesh, and the devil are consumed in your life. You are being washed and you are made clean by then going to the bronze basin or the laver where you put on new actions, new lifestyle, new way of living, the old bondages, the old addictions, they're all broken. You enter into the holy place of God. 
and in that place you offer your body as a living sacrifice before the Holy One of God. As you offer your body in that place as a living sacrifice, as food for God, on the left-hand side of this room, there is a candelabra with seven beautiful candles. This is representing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, or the candelabra, fills the room with light, and it reflects off the white of the walls. It reflects off the gold of the table and also the gold of the candelabra. Now, as you move forward, you come to what is called the golden altar of incense. Now, in the scripture, the altar of incense placed just before the curtain that separates the holy from the most holy. That altar of incense is the place where our prayers ascend before the Father. You cannot get to the altar of incense to pray without going through the repentance, the bronze altar where you lay your life down, the bronze basin where you are taught, where you are scrubbed clean, where a whole new lifestyle emerges, and then finally coming where you say, Yes, Lord, I have no goal, I have no objective, I have no desire except to serve you, Lord. My life is laid before you. I am the food of God. My precious late wife used to say in her prayer, Lord, I give you my life as a, as a blank check. Please spend my life any way you choose. And the Lord believed her. And he spent her life in ministry. He spent her life encouraging and, and helping sinners into the heart of Jesus. And then finally he spent her on cancer. And he took her home. It's a dangerous thing to say, spend me any way you choose. But that has to become our prayer if we're going to reach the altar of incense. We come to the altar of incense and there the sweet aroma of Jesus rises with our prayers. There the sweet aroma of our entire surrender and our being made clean by the blood of the Lamb, having been washed in pure water, having been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, we are finally ready to lift up our hearts before mighty God and cry aloud to Him. We're told in the New Testament to go into our room, shut the door, and to, and to pray. But if you'll read it carefully, it's to pray out loud. Praying in your mind is a way to get lost. It's a way to be distracted. It's vital that you pray aloud when you're in private. 
It is lifting your heart up to the Lord God Almighty, and he hears your prayers. Your prayers ascend before the Father. We come in the name of Jesus. We offer our prayer. Now the glorious truth that I want to share with you today. I don't know how to even talk about it. But let's go to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. I'm going to begin reading with verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, where did we get that confidence? By coming with our back to the world and repenting of our sins confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. That happened at the altar of burnt offering, having our bodies washed with pure water. That happened at the laver. That happened at baptism. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire, that will consume the enemies of God. We don't deliberately keep on sinning, and if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, First John, who forgives us for our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness so that we don't commit that sin again. We're washed, we're cleansed, we're made whole. So this passage of Scripture is saying, come with a sincere heart. Just quickly, that word sincere was used in the marketplace in Jesus' day. When you would go to buy a pot, a clay pot, that you were going to put on the fire, you would ask the merchant, is this a sincere pot? What you were saying was, was this pot cracked and you filled it with wax so that it looks like it's a whole pot, but if I put it on the fire and that wax melts, everything will leak out. Is this a sincere pot? Oh, yes. Yes, you may take it and put it on the fire. It's a sincere pot. The writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, don't draw near to God with cracks in your heart. 
Don't come before God to pray when you have not fully confessed your wickedness. Come with a sincere heart, an uncracked heart, a heart made whole by the blood of Jesus. In full assurance of faith, because you've been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, you've been washed clean. You see, the blood was sprinkled on the sides of the altar of burnt offering. And once a year, the blood was taken in and sprinkled on the mercy seat over the law, cleansing and making whole. And so there is a way now, according to this, because when Jesus was crucified, the temple veil was rent in two and there was no longer a separation in the heavenlies between the holy place and the most holy place, which is the very dwelling place of the Shekinah glory of God. So if you want to enter into the actual Shekinah glory presence of God, and that is my greatest desire, remember Joshua never wanted to leave the tent of meeting. I don't want to ever leave the Shekinah presence of God. I don't want to leave the most holy compartment of the heavenly sanctuary. I want that to be my dwelling place. I hunger for the Lord Jesus. As I was praying before starting the broadcast today, I was asking the Lord, Lord, have you brought me into the holy of holies? I come by the blood of Jesus Christ, having confessed my sins, having been washed and made clean, walking in obedience to your word. And so I come into the Holy of Holies through the rent body of Jesus Christ. He was rent for us on Calvary's tree. Jesus was torn on that cross for you and for me. So I come into the very presence of God. I'm not content to stay outside of the holy place. And it's interesting to me, the book of Hebrews, the writer of the book of Hebrews, places the altar of incense not where it was in the book of Exodus. He brings the altar of incense behind the veil in front of, of the ark of God. Now, what is an ark? An ark is a place of safety. There are a number of arks spoken of in Scripture. The ark that Noah built, it did not have propulsion. It didn't have a rudder. They went in and God shut the door behind them and he carried them safely through the flood. We have another ark spoken of. When baby Moses is put in an ark and thrust into the bulrushes because they were commanded to cast their babies into the river where the crocodiles would eat them. But Moses was in an ark of safety and it was there that Pharaoh's daughter saw the ark in the bulrushes and sent her maids to bring it in and saw that it was a Hebrew baby and saved Moses' life. 
Likewise, this ark made of acacia wood representing the humanity of Jesus and the gold representing the godhood of Jesus, fully man and fully God. A golden box, and inside that small box, the tablets of stone that God wrote on, the old covenant. Above the law was the mercy seat. It was made of pure gold. It represents Jesus in the fullness of his godhood. We're told that Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. I'll read that for you quickly. In Revelation 13, verse 8, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Jesus knew before he created the earth that he would die for his children. Now, why didn't he stop them from falling? Because he needed men and women who of their own volition would say, I must serve Jesus. I love Jesus. And Genesis 3.15 is that wonderful, famous promise that we would not belong to the devil, but there would be a small opening where we would have the ability to choose Jesus. And we could pray. And we could cry out to him and he would answer us. So God made a covenant with God that if the race of Adam fell and was deceived in sin. God himself would come and die. We broke the covenant with our wickedness. But Jesus said, I'll pay the price. I'll die for them. He died for you. And he died for me. What glory that Jesus would die for us. What glory that Jesus would die for us. I praise his name. We're brought into the Holy of Holies to commune with our Lord God of heaven. And the writer of Hebrews brings that altar of incense directly in front of the Ark of the Covenant. because we come into the Holy of Holies to pray. Now, what's the takeaway for dummies like me, maybe like you? The way we pray is we turn our back on the world. That's why we kneel. Or it's why we lay on our face on the floor. Or it's why we lift our hands before Almighty God. And we repent. <clears throat> and we 
choose to lay our life down for Jesus Christ. Now, I have prayed in the past, many years ago, when I didn't do any of this, and it took me a year to finally break through, but it took a year of God humbling me and dealing with my life before I finally, in anger, cried out against God. And he rebuked me. He said audibly to me, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. He said it angrily to me. Therefore, honor God with your body. It humbled and broke me. And it was at that point that he caused me to put away all sin. And he made a covenant with me. And the covenant he made with me, he asked me, will you receive from my hand only that which I choose to give you? And I said, yes, Lord. And then I began to ask him questions. What about this? What about that? And he answered. He said, turn it off. Leave it alone. And my walk since then has been going back to the laver as I need to, going back to the bronze altar as I need to, just to check and make sure my life is utterly, totally, completely given over to the hand of God. I wish... I could stay in the Holy of Holies. But the weakness in my flesh is not an excuse. It's where God is calling me to dwell, and I am more and more dwelling in that Holy of Holies. Today I am dwelling in the Holy of Holies. And as I pray, he answers me quickly, immediately. I ask him questions, and he answers. Do this, don't do that. Yes, no. How does he answer me? In the scriptures? Knowings in my heart? Words from friends that come as a bolt of lightning into my heart, and I know it's the Lord speaking through them, and even, if necessary, verbally dreams, visions. God has many ways of communicating. It's not hard to hear God talk when God is talking. But you must do the preparation work before you're going to hear God speak. So this was prayer for dummies. You walk through these steps back to the world repenting of your sin being washed in a change of behavior with new clothes of righteousness being willing to be one of the loaves of bread laid before God for him to consume in any way he chooses being illuminated and filled with the Holy Spirit you can't pray without the Holy Spirit and then coming to the altar of incense. Going through the veil into the Holy of Holies. Living your life for Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. I hope this has been helpful to you.
You may want to listen to this broadcast again and get the whole piece. Tomorrow we're going to go deeper into this issue of how do I pray. Lord, I come and I bring each who's listening before your throne. And I ask that you would teach them the steps one by one to deliberately and consciously walk with you in such a manner that they can come into the Holy of Holies washed and clean and made whole with their back to the world. Lord, I pray for each person today. Will you encourage them to pray? Will you encourage them to repent until they're clean? In the name of Jesus, amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Great joy with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great Jesus Christ.